Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hi, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today we have a special guest for you, a repeat offender. If you remember back from February 26th, 2021, you can search this out, but it was Mastering Google SEO YouTube Ads with uh, Seattle-based private practice owner, Ben Wobker. Welcome back to the podcast here, Ben. Thanks for having me, Chad. This is um, kind of like Tom Hanks on SNL or something, right? I got like the, the multi, has there, is there like three and four timers already? The two-timer club? Don't believe, oh, maybe uh, Bob Kowalik. Maybe Bob, Bob, yeah, Bob, yeah. Bob makes sense, yeah. But uh, yes, so you, you are definitely in unique, uh, exclusive territory with the, uh, the two-timer club here. It's great sure. to be with Bob on that. That's a, it's, it's like a, <laughs> like a green jacket or something. I'm not sure. That's right. It's great so, to be uh, there. Yeah. Welcome back. Sorry to interrupt you. Bad start by me but being a bad host. But uh, yeah, would love for you to update, fill in the blanks for people in terms of what has happened with your practice um, over the past 12 months, Ben. A lot, a lot has gone gone on there, and I always love when Chad and I get together here because we're. Like, I think you mentioned, in, when it was offline or online, we're like brothers from a different mother. Is that it's a chance to catch up, and I'm usually the one doing the interviewing on my um, pod or at my webinars, so it's kind of fun to be on this side of things. But we've uh, had a, quite a few things happen since we last spoke. Obviously, the pandemic um, continues to kind of wind down in Seattle. It was a a pretty closed down event, but we grew pretty significantly during the pandemic, opening two clinics, much much like yourself, we, we leaned into the headwinds and uh, our owner's managers negotiated great leases and um, we got two more open. And so we've increased by about a hundred percent. And those, those owners are um, Mark and Laura Obama in West Seattle, which is about, you know, if you're drawing kind of a, how things are on a on a map, it's actually not tremendously far, but there are some bridge outages and bridge repairs going on that are taking a number of years. So it, it feels very far. It's about an hour from our, our Kirkland headquarters clinic. And then we opened one in Redmond, which is where Microsoft's headquarters are, and where I had started my first clinic, a non-Lake Washington PT clinic in 2002. So we went back to Redmond, which is my hometown. And um, I'm happy to say that those two new clinics are at 100% capacity and, and actually are cannot grow any further at this point. So that's super exciting for us. So again, 125% growth. And with that, as everyone knows, it's listening, that's an owner or manager comes with the logistics and kind of the planning of, of that kind of growth and um, that trajectory, that upper right is a job in itself to kind of manage that. So we're kind of working on 20, my, my wife's goal, uh, Sarah. So her goal in 2022 was to not grow at all. <laughs> so she has a very, uh, uh, smart goal there because we could get our ducks in a row and get everything organized and um, we like I'm pretty type A uh, I like to behave type B and I like to prepare type A so we like to have all everything really really buttoned up so that we can operate comfortably and calmly and not, not be reactionary so so that's kind of what we're working on in 2022 but with that growth of you know we can go into a lot of different things there um, we've added a lot of different technology too. So you can let me know where we want to, what off ramps we want to head on to and uh, great. What direction we want to go. Awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you for sending the list over of topics. Uh, this is excellent. I do have to ask though, before we get there, Sarah, correct? Correct. Sarah said uh, no growth in 2022. What exactly does that mean? She, what she means by that is uh, no 
no major new credentialing and, and <laughs> LLC formations. So, you know, we think we've been adding LLCs. Uh, it feels like you know, we're collecting them like a, um, like some kind of collector item. So we're baseball we're, cards or something. Yes, like baseball that. cards or uh, some kind of um, you know toy of some sort. But um, so that's the goal for 2022: is no no new LLCs. So, yeah. and I assume that she's responsible for building much of the infrastructure. She's in charge of building uh, the payrolls, the QuickBooks, um, a good chunk a good chunk of AR. We do have someone at each location that kind of works on that as well. But yeah, she's in, she's in charge of a big chunk of that. And so I think her bandwidth um, was pushed farther than what she had signed up for. And, um, and we really have a goal like at, from like a, a corporate structure is we have a, a very flat structure in general, but we wanted to not have um, bring on other people at the top um, of, the, of the corporate management standpoint. We want to keep it very simple and very familial. So um, that's kind of where that kind of stand. So I'm on board with that too, even though it, I think in your DNA and mine, it's, you know, grow, grow, grow. But with like you and I were talking offline beforehand, I think we've found with that not growing physically is that we've created a lot of growth with margins and with uh, performance and uh, attrition. So we're having uh, really hitting all good marks in all those areas. So that's been super helpful. So it's also kind of that, you know, kind of like if you're following a stock chart, kind of that retrenchment where you kind of get that, you know, the calming, which is also a good chance for you kind of regroup and then before you make the next big, big, big move. Yes. Great. So let's stay there. Um, I know you had canceled a contract and for many of the owners, uh, and that just happened here April 1st. So I know that's a, an aspiration for many practice owners to be able to go to typically a capitated type insurance company where maybe they're paying 60 or $70 a visit and saying, Hey, you know what? We're losing money on these visits. We need to end this contract. And it sounds like, you know, you're at full utilization. You, you have all your offices are full space and personnel utilization. Um, how did you do it? How did you think through it? Um, because it sounds like you did it in a very rational and logical way. And ultimately in the end, if you can share what that's done for your business, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something we started talking about. Wow, you know, it it see it seemed sudden, but it was actually probably six years in the making. We had this was a, again, this isn't not a, we're not doing we're not we didn't leave the contract out of vengeance or out of annoyance. Overall, it was just it just didn't make economic sense. We just couldn't, uh, and that was with United Healthcare. So we gave notice to the to our clients that we were seeing January first that April first we would be. So we want to give a three to four month runway for people to complete plan of cares, to not be irritated. Um, also to make sure legally that we gave everyone enough exit from the contract, et cetera. We had had negotiations, like many, many guests of yours have talked about with them on and off over the years. And I think the takeaway message we had over, you know, multiple, multiple meetings was that our quality of one-on-one -on -one care just didn't fit their model. And, um, you know, $70 a visit in Seattle, our underlying cost per visit is about 105. So we're losing about $35 a visit. Now, I think the reason we didn't do it sooner when we opened these other clinics, I think we we kind of almost could market, put that as a marketing expense. And QuickBooks is like, you know, healthcare visit was really keeping physicians happy, keeping accessibility and growth still available. Over time, we just felt that it became um, a little more work to even get the $70. So our staff was just really came, came, came together, which I was excited about. And we just said, hey, you know, let's, let's take the plunge and let's, you know, we're at 92% capacity on a, on a weekly basis. I think we can 
you know, we can lose a $70 visit and we can fulfill it with a, a payer that in our, in our area is doing about 138. So we're about double per visit reimbursement for non-United Healthcare. So um, it's been that, and we've kind of raised our average you know, payment per visit by about $2 per visit by eliminating them. They were about, so the question people would have is like, how much United Healthcare are we seeing? Well, not a ton. This area is very competitive between Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing, and, and, and benefits in healthcare is a big part of that package that people sign up for when they when they join those companies. And so we you know, were beneficial that we only had about about three to 10% per, per location was um, United Healthcare. So about say seven and a half, eight percent total. So we were able to absorb that. And um, you know, I think in this area at least, and it's probably true, I know I've done a lot of work in San Francisco and stuff. I think you can really only take one of the three, in my opinion. You can either take Medicaid, Medicare, United Healthcare. If you take all three here, your doors are probably closed. Um, it's just, it's too difficult. So we do take Medicare, I think that's very important for our, we have a lot of patients we love that um, have Medicare. And we do have a lot of United Healthcare patients now that are, are coming in and they're cash paying and then submitting themselves, or they're using HSA benefit packages, things like that to pay and come in. And then they kind of regulate the care and the frequency is probably a little bit less, you know, probably one to two visits a month sort of situation. Uh, but overall, you know, it's been a, a real positive. And this is, you know, we had talked a little bit about, we had changed our, um, and this is kind of a different topic, but kind of related and that we changed our comp for our therapists during the pandemic. And we have a much more bonus-based compensation. And so I think our therapists were kind of like, all of a sudden the $70 a visit for them was very real. And they're like, hey, you know, this is really hard for me to make as much as I need to make to survive in Seattle with cost of living, inflation, and, and, and just the competitiveness of, of housing here um, when you're competing at, you know, an entry level Google worker at say quarter of a million dollars. And how does a therapist compete, you know, renting or much less trying to purchase a home. So we, so by getting rid of this, it did, it did bump their pay monthly as well. So it's, it was kind of a win across all, all uh, boxes for us checked. The only thing is it's unfortunate that for those members, there, there have been some people that were kind of upset, but you know, there are other clinics to land at. They're more like the national corporate chains that do take it. Um, so they're not without care. They're just inconvenienced, I guess. But again, we give them a really long runway so they would know ahead of time and kind of continued our messaging and that sort of thing. So, so overall, it's been very positive. I know any questions on that would be totally fine. I, I just think it's, it's a tough thing when United Healthcare, like say in Atlanta, for example, where it's, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the payer mix is United Healthcare. Um, that's a tough thing to really even contemplate. So just one question on that, that I think would be most helpful for owners. One, what was your, your most anticipated fear when you started the process? And then now looking back, having crossed the finish line, was that fear validated or was there something else that surprised you, another obstacle that you and your team had to overcome? I think, I think there's two things that you're kind of fearful at first. And that is one, are there going to be empty slots on the schedule? And that was I didn't think that would be the case, but that's the fear. You know, you kind of play out, you game out kind of your worst case scenario. And I, that was my thought. Um, we didn't experience that at all. The other thing was just, I think we're in the business of pleasing people. And it's tough to disappoint people when they call uh, for our front desk, as well as our therapists and, and myself as an owner that, oh, you know, sorry, we don't take you. And it does sound like a really cool, you know, injury. You know, like you're, you've got a really great compelling story. It's just, we don't take that insurance. And 
and then you know making sure that they can find a place to land that will provide quality care in our area that's becoming more challenging for those uh, capitated kind of poor contracts there are again like there are locations for them to go but they're not going to necessarily get the one-on-one care that you know they're familiar with so um, so that's kind of those are the two fears that we had and i think both were calmed and um, i think everyone kind of now in retrospect is like well gosh we should have made this jump you know a decade ago yeah just out of curiosity anybody switch over to cash pay um yeah we've had, i would say about half of those people went to cash pay oh that's huge yeah in this area people can not everyone but i think there's a good amount of people that can afford to do that you know we have a, a really high especially in where i'm coming from like our household income is very very high uh, comparatively to the national average and comparatively to what the united healthcare contract was paying so um, but it was, it's become kind of a challenge, you know, for, and this is the case everywhere, but, you know, for teachers, firefighters, policemen, and therapists that are in that group is like, how do you compete in these housing markets? And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the one differentiator is that PTs have more loans than all those folks. So um, they've got, you know, $1,100 to $1,500 a month loan payment on top of you know, excruciating rent. So, um, so that's kind of, so that was kind of one of the factors that kind of played into that too. So we wanted to have, keep our therapists happy. And that, and to me, it was more important to have our, our staff and culture really going well than to have um, a poor payer in our mix. Yeah. Fair enough. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Ben. No, I'm happy to offline. Anyone has questions on that too. And again, that's not a, it's not a slander against them. It just didn't, it was not economically feasible. Yeah. The, uh, I, I do want to touch on the personnel you talked about within the last 12 months, you, you modified or uh, did some tweaking with your reimbursement or not reimbursement, uh, your compensation model with uh, physical therapists. This is a hot topic right now. We did a survey on this not that long ago within one of our Facebook groups. And we asked, you know, what are you seeing working in today's market? Because there is uh, definitely with the winds of supply and demand, it has changed dramatically. We've seen, we within the last year, we've had a waiting list of DPTs getting in to negative five. So we had five, <laughs> five positions open and now we see the pendulum swinging back the other way. And it sounds like what you did definitely had some benefits with it. Can you talk through um, at least the principles of how you thought through it and ultimately what it meant for you as a practice and practice owner um, on the other end? Yeah. And this, I think this speaks to, I think a lot of the topic that uh, the majority of your business owner guests have had over the last couple of years. And I was like, how do you, how do you help with attrition? How do you, how do we pay our therapists? How do we incentivize them? Well, I, what my thought was, and I've wanted to do this for a long time. The pandemic gave us like many other things. It gave us a chance to innovate our compensation structure because for a moment, <laughs> for a brief moment, um, employers and managers were kind of in the driver's seat. So I was like, well, I want to make this change that we've always wanted to make. And I think it's actually a beneficial thing for the therapist. I think therapists in general are, I'm making a generalization, are, are risk averse. And so they're never going to do this on their own unless we kind of we kind of force them into it. And so what we did is we paid a very minimal base rate of hourly wage, and then we give them a percentage of what they bring in not a percentage build, you know, not any other kind of incentives, just a percentage of what they bring in. So with that, then the therapist has an involvement in completion of plan of care. They have an involvement in their cancellation rate. They have an involvement in their wait list. They care about their payer mix. They care about getting their documentation done in time. They care about patients paying their co-pay and towards deductibles and all those fee- all those other factors that the business owner is always worried about. And so I think in essence, what it makes them is like little, mi- little micro 
business owners within the business. I would say comparably friends of mine that a friend that owns a salon and it's kind of similar to someone who in some ways kind of rents a chair. Like they hairdressers can make a, a lot of money in this area. I mean, they, they have pricing power, which therapists don't, but they also have the ability to control their schedule. So with this, they, you know, we have weekly mentor times and weekly admin times set aside. If they choose to fill those times, that's up to them. It's it, there's a there's a dollar value now to any open slot for them. Um, it didn't create too fast a pace, which is what we were kind of worried. Is like some people might the go getters in the group might go a little too far. But I would say that you know our first year therapists now coming in at at twenty dollars an hour and sixteen percent of their comp are bringing in in this area about what a nine or 10 year PT is making. So once you once you can kind of explain the idea, especially to a new graduate, I mean, and I think for a lot of new graduates, any money is gonna be fun to have. But I think like if you can explain the potential for them, it's it's really amazing. If they feel like they can stay busy and they're interested in that. If, and in fact, you know, if, if this situation had been the case for maybe you and myself, I might not have ever opened my own business because I'd be making you know good money. Now the um, the one challenge is is it's not guaranteed. So I know a lot of my friends that are in the hospital systems and places where like you know you kind of cheer on a cancellation and and those sort of things. You know they they still get paid the hourly rate in the cancellation, but they don't get the comp. And they don't get the percent towards you know applied payments in the in that period of time where they're not seeing a patient. So that's so in that situation they want to be a little busier. So they they are working their inactivity lists more. They're just overall without any work from me engaged. <laughs> so I think, you know, for years, and you know, there's a lot of probably owners on the, on the, the pod that are, um, you know, having to chase people down to get notes done and, and, you know, Hey, have you talked to this patient lately that they, they kind of fell off the list and all these sort of things like that, that stopped for me pretty much the day we did this. Um, that may not be the case for everyone, but it may just be the type of therapist that we've, you know, kind of attracted, uh, but it's been great. Um, I think the people listening to you might worry, like how many people did we lose? We did lose two therapists, um, you know, out of 40, 40 therapist group that didn't want to do this. And, um, and that, that's fine. If it's not, it's not for everyone, I guess, you know, that's, that's understandable, but I would say everyone that did do it has had took about a 15 to 16% raise of what they were at previously. Nice. And during inflation, inflationary yes. times, that's a very big deal. Important. Yes. The, uh, and it, it's so the major benefit, it sounds like Ben was getting ownership mentality across the board, getting that in simply by incentive. And I, I, I just want to do a disclaimer so I don't get the I don't get breakthrough in trouble. But uh, it, whatever state province you're in, whatever country you're in listening to this, whatever uh, your clinical area of expertise, you're going to want to make sure that your compensation model aligns with legal and compliance of your uh, the, those aspects of your practice act. So just double check that for most people, you're fine. Um, I know there are some situations where a clinician uh, just cannot have variable pay in any way at all. I've had very similar responses to uh, variable pay model, Ben. And uh, the it, it's funny, I wish there, I wish I would have talked with you a while ago, but uh, I had to go to like uh, Jack Stack who, wrote a couple of businesses. I think the great game of business was the one that I remember. Stake in the outcome is the other one. But yeah, so he has a couple of books out. And the other guy that Charlie Munger mentions repeatedly is uh, Les Schwab, who was in tire sales. But they're both uh, were amazing business people who fostered 
uh, and aggressive compensation plans and it completely transformed uh, their businesses. So yeah, love your application of it and the, the results that you've been having there. Yeah, and that's 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 good feedback for people around the country. Yeah, definitely check on the Practice Act. And there's and there's also rule, you know, rules. So like we have to be in this area to satisfy, you know, kind of minimum wage requirements. You need to be at a certain certain level there as well. Different different cities for us to have different ordinances as well. So we have to make sure. Um, obviously, we're providing you know healthcare benefits and that sort of thing too. But you have to make sure you're at the certain thresholds there when you're picking your base rate level. Um, and again, we've tried much like probably most practice owners, and I know you played around with this too, Chad, we tried bonusing for getting notes done. We tried, you know, all kinds of different, um, and it's, and, it, and what it became is it became me watching the spreadsheet and chasing things down and making sure everything was right on payroll. And then people, there's just the transparency and the clarity was not there for the individual. So um, physicians in our area, the surgeons, the GPs, they're bonus in a very similar fashion. So that's what, so this one, this wasn't my idea, obviously, but this is where we kind of started. I started, so as I spent more time with physicians, I'm like, Hey, how are you guys getting paid? And some that I know really well, we're like, Hey, this is what you get as a new physician. And that's only guaranteed for X amount of months. And, and that sort of thing. I think that the one caveat or the one challenge of it would be for people out there is the first month. So, um, you know, if, if you think of like, at least for how we report with clinician, we get the applied payments report at the first of each month. So it's this so say you started April 1st, like you're not getting your first comp bonus payment. And you also want to look into how you how you label it, depending on your state too. It's bonus versus salary versus the salary distribution. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but you want to, you that first month can be a challenge. So we usually do a sign-on bonus and then we do a, a bonus with credentialing. And then we do, um, you know, something like that where we kind of, so there's a little buffer there for the first six to six to eight weeks while your schedule ramps up. And before nice. the insurance payments are kind of in space, in the ether. Great. This podcast is brought to you by Breakthrough, the leading platform for practice growth. Breakthrough has helped over 1,500 healthcare practice owners leave a bigger impact in their communities and grow a larger business. As the founder of Breakthrough, I've developed a library of educational resources on practice growth. These are based on my learnings from my own experience as a private practice owner plus the experience working with thousands of other owners in the breakthrough community. If you have a growth mindset and you're hungry for free resources to help you grow, check out Breakthrough's resource hub. Go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources, where you'll find on-demand trainings, tools, templates, planning guides, and a host of other free resources. Again, you can find these at getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. If you're interested in getting direct support, with your practice growth. You can request a free growth consultation at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Since we're talking about, and you mentioned the young Google executive, I do want to talk about Google a bit because I even had our our marketing team follow and try to emulate what you were doing with your therapist after our last podcast recording last year. The so I, I want to ask you about the tweaks. The other, I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you, but the, the big revelation that I had after the last time um, that we recorded together was that Facebook is very much an East Coast in your face. Instagram, same company, very much in your face, interrupts your pattern of thought um, as you're scrolling. And that's the type of advertising that is on there and that I'm on the East Coast and Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerberg grew up in Connecticut and went to uh, 
Harvard briefly, right? So it's very much an East Coast thing. Google and YouTube. Oh, I just blanked on it. Larry and Sergey. Yeah. Right. Yep. Went to Stanford, right. Completely on the West coast. It, uh, and I was like, wow, like I never really thought about that before you're on the West coast. And I was like, wow, that just makes a ton of sense to me all of a sudden that it's a more organic way, less interruptive, just a better experience in terms of finding a Google or a YouTube ad, because it's typically related to what I'm already searching for rather than somebody trying to generate interest in a completely cold unaware market. Anyhow, from that, I consider you like the, you know, you have more experience, more results, um, more committed to understanding Google than any other practice owner I've talked with. What is new in the, the world of Google ads in the well, last 12 months? Yeah, you know, I wanna, I wanna give kudos to Robin and your team. And again, I'm just full of transparency. I don't work for Breakthrough and I don't even use Breakthrough, although I recommend it to people that don't wanna spend the amount of time that I do watching SEO videos and reading <laughs> and talking to people that work at Google. What's worked in the in the recent months, and that's I think where your team kind of reached out to me, we started doing a lot of, you know, if you if you kind of looked at our competition, if you kind of, if you kind of assume you're some of the corporate players, your competition, they're buying a lot of click ads. They're buying, you know, Im impressions and that sort of thing through Google. And we're kind of like, what sets us apart? Well, that's really that we, we have clinicians that are gonna stay in our clinics for, three, four, 10 years, you know, they're going to be parts of the community. They live in the community. They're not going to be transient. And so we're like, well, let's, what's really, we made a concerted effort to really highlight, especially when new members come on and we kind of a, created a budget for those. And I think one of the questions your listeners might have just from listening to the listener questions over the years is how much do we, you know, how much do we allocate for a new hire? And um, I think what we typically found is we do about $500 Facebook, we do about $1,000 in Google and we do about $500 of YouTube over the course of their first four to six weeks. Now, everything we just talked about previously comes into play even a little more because the therapist being reluctant, not wanting to do the videos, you know, therapist kind of being camera shy in general, and you kind of spoke about that in some of the last podcasts as well, is all of a sudden when you're, when you're getting paid to be busier, you're, you're, you have interest in, in producing content uh, for video. So, but like you said, I think the, the interruption observation is really good. I think the YouTube ads, we try to make those targeted to people with search that's related to it. So if it's a plantar fasciitis diagnosis video or someone who, who specializes in orthotics, for example, we're going to keep it around hiking, skiing, running um, on the, the list of interests when you do the uh, a YouTube ad. With the Google ads, we've kind of, um, you know, we play around with a little bit of the same stuff you're doing. We're kind of focusing on injury types so your, your example that you always use is the rotator cuff. I like that one. We also like, you know, ACL or meniscus, meniscus being even more prevalent than ACL. So meniscus, you know, what is a knee pain? And I think Robin did, people really should listen to Robin's podcast because it really encapsulates my thinking on it. And that was that you really want to, you know, kind of find that audience that you think is going to be fun to work with one the therapists want to see, which is not always chronic back pain. So it's usually meniscus because it's usually a rotational sport, soccer, tennis, golf, something fun, jujitsu. And then, then we kind of build it around that and we can kind of look at in this area, you know, the zip code is going to determine a lot of where the, the better payer mix is for us. So we have a pretty good fine tune on that. And then interest, of course, if someone's part of a specific group, they probably have better insurance too. For example, if you're, you know, someone who's in the jujitsu, but also uh, follows Microsoft as a as a company, they probably 
have some relation or proximity to Microsoft, which means they have better benefits and they also are doing the sport that we're interested in and that our therapists wanna see. So it's kind of an attrition component for our therapists. It's completion of plan of care for the patient and it's economically the payer mix for the clinic survival. So it's kind of a, a multi-pronged approach. So people that aren't kind of, you know, if they're just like you've talked about in the past too, people just haphazardly just relying on people to call or that sort of thing. I think that ship has sailed. So if you want to like, if you want to be competitive and have your therapist happy, I think you want to attract the type of patients that are fun to see and that will actually complete a plan of care that, cause that there's a sense of ownership and pride for the therapist when someone completes a plan of care and gets back to doing what they're doing versus being, you know, lack, lack of interest. And that being said, you know, one of the things that you guys have talked about extensively, I think on the pod is, you know, physician referrals versus direct access. And we, we are about 40 percent uh, physician referral, 60 percent direct access, which I find for us is probably the perfect mix. I, w- I will say, and maybe you can speak to this on your end too, I, for us, completion of plan of care and frequency and buy-in is much quicker when it's a physician referral. And they're usually booking out farther in advance so they get the appointment times they want. When it's an, when it's an online booking or someone who just books off of Google, they usually book one visit and then our schedule is pretty busy. So their next visit is, you know, 10 to 10 days to two weeks out. And then it feels like the rhythm of them getting into that kind of smooth plan of care frequency is, is a little interrupted. So I don't know if you've, if you've seen that as well. Allah, this is new discernment in the last 12 months for me. And I, I'm not, I was very aware of this principle, but I never thought about it before. We directly correlated with awareness level. So if somebody goes to their physician and they're, they're very conservative treatment oriented, and they're almost asking for PT where, and typically they, they've consumed something that we have, you know, whether it's a report or they've been to a webinar or a workshop, or they've seen us out in the community, they've been reading our information, they're already within our ecosystem of information, and they drive that, completely agree, that person's going to graduate PT. Everything else is kind of a, a hit or miss for us with the physician referrals. Sometimes it works really well. We find within our area, because we have the three major healthcare systems that control all the flow, I mean, it is very restricted to refer to an independent PT or an independent clinician across the board that the referral coordinator will have something to do with that. Um, They'll be driving it. So if they are, if the referral coordinator really believes in us, it's fantastic because they make a great referral. If not, they may not even show up in that's, and we, we, we have a lot of uh, use the word attrition I'll stick with that word. I think that accurately describes it. But we have a, a large number or a segment of patients that won't even show up, and they tend to come from the same physician referrals, the same physician offices repeatedly. On the cold traffic side, if somebody is completely cold, and Jeff, uh, you had referenced uh, Jeff Langmay before, you know, if somebody's completely unaware and they're cold traffic and they're doing the Groupon where they're looking for a voucher or a free assessment uh, and they're, they have no idea who we are, they haven't consumed any information, they have no connection to the clinic, that person likely is going to no-show right, for their eval or their, their that appointment. The others, you know, they've been to multiple workshops, they've had friends talk about us, their physician told them to come here, or, you know, they've ordered a book from us in the past or something like that. They're very indoctrinated. There's more of a relationship and we, we notice a direct correlation between the amount of information that they consume, ultimately the time that they've spent with us before that initial appointment, 
um, is that variable is directly correlated with greater plan of care completion. And it kind of makes sense that they would respect the, uh, the expertise of the therapist a little bit more. No, I, that, that makes total sense to me. Have you, have you guys thought about, I mean, this is more applicable to you than me, but have you thought about doing a workshop for referral coordinators? <laughs> we, so that is a dream, <laughs> an aspirational dream. Uh, we have a, a marketer uh, that I grew up with uh, and she joined us about six months ago, um, Tracy O'Brien, but yeah, and her twin brother, Troy, uh, but the three of us grew up together. Yeah, since I think we've known each other since seventh grade. She was pharmaceutical sales rep, raised her two daughters and then came back into the fold. She had brought up that idea. And I said, you know, we, we've tried to invite clinicians in, um, referral sources. But I remember I did a, a, probably the most successful one was with a nurse midwife back pain and pregnancy workshop. That went really well. But she said that, she said, can we get referral coordinators here? Whenever I've done physician lunches, that's that's what I aim for. Oh, I, yeah. I just, I go right to the referral coordinator and I try to do like a very simple first rib mobilization if she has neck pain or shoulder pain. And I'll I'll go through my line of questions. Have you had physical therapy before? How, how did it go? Typically, you know, if they have, it wasn't the best response. It didn't really work. And then, well, I'll try to do some sort of a five minute miracle with, uh, <laughs> with the referral coordinator. How about you? No, that's, it's, it's funny. Cause when I, I think I talked about it in our first podcast is um, I helped start the, that company Luna, which delivers healthcare to people's homes. And um, you know, we're, we're going around and, and we had a budget and I was out in California. I didn't know anybody. And I was just going to you know, doctor visits and, and different clinics. And, and, you know, I was talking to buddies that are PTs and they're like, Oh, which, which docs did you meet? And I'm like, um, I met a couple of docs, but who I'm really meet, you know, who I want to talk to is Cindy. Cindy runs all the referrals out there because a lot of these docs didn't care who people got sent to or it just, just didn't have the input. It was just all done by Raintree or CERN or Epic. And it was it was through the referral coordinator. So the referral coordinator, like we had a system in place there too, where you know we would get a referral from a certain group and, and we would send chocolate to the referral coordinator, not to uh, the physician. <laughs> so so it's a very they're pretty much the firewall for the group and they're super important. And I think if if you have groups that people talk to that don't know for sure if they're on the EMR lists, there are lists inside the EMR that make it really simple for the drop-down physicians to select. And that is typically the referral or the IT coordinator, IT, uh, you know, CTO to be in charge of putting that stuff in place. So for those people out there, that's time that's well spent if you can kind of get to know the team. Uh, physicians being an important part of it, but I, I think it's as much the rest of the team, the MAs, the PAs, and referral coordinators that make a huge difference on, you know, that kind of graciousness to practices to refer. So, but it can be a, a tough nut to crack uh, in some areas, especially like you said, when there's, when there's kind of a, a tighter HMO kind of type system. Great. Yeah. Agree with everything that you, you've said there. And now LinkedIn makes it significantly easier to find the CTO and referral coordinator and everybody else. And that's, that's actually a great segue too. I think, I think PTs, and we may have talked about this too. I'm, I've gotten hit in the head in a lot, probably like you. From mine's football, not jujitsu. But um, I think LinkedIn is a sleeper when it comes to social media. So um, I think if you can find physicians that you like, then you can start to find their team. You can find their MA. It gives you a really easy introduction to them where you can set up a, an email, 
Um, I know it's kind of like these phases of dating, but like you could go from LinkedIn to an email and the email could set up like a, a meeting with a group or, or even just what we've been doing a lot of as is guest blogs from physicians and PAs in our area that um, have great stuff they've already written in the past and we can republish it for them and get them a little publicity for the people that we like. And, uh, you know, then they can, you know, get to meet our audience. So it's kind of a, a fun, fun thing there too. So LinkedIn, um, I think will be the one social media, if I was gaming it out, that survives everything. Really agree. Well, read is such a long-term yeah. thinker. The, yeah, I wanted to bring up the, uh, the idea of a well-run business and this, uh, this self-limiting belief that all of us have to grow through as practice owners, which is my business is small. And if I get, uh, <laughs> I had a physician friend tell me this, uh, what did he say? Get too big for my own britches. It was some sort of uh, Pennsylvania Dutch yeah, like colloquialism. <laughs> and uh, I said, wait, a friend of mine, also my family physician, I said, wait, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, when you get too large, by the way, he has, uh, he's part of a group now that has over 50 locations. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, I said, well, what, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, you, if you get too large too fast, bad things happen. And I said, well, that's a horrible thing to tell, a, you know, an entrepreneurial person <laughs> ever. But uh, th- how do you think through that? How do you balance it? How do you have time for Sarah and your son and family and do the things outside of work that you have um, yet aggressively grow a business as well? How do you maintain that work-life balance, Ben? Yeah, the, the balance is always uh, a work in progress for all of us, I think, and uh, especially for practice owners, especially for practice owners that want to continue to treat regularly or treat aggressively. I guess what I, a little thing that I made up, and I haven't heard this from anybody, and it's not, there's no science behind it for me. For any direct report, I, I consider that an hour of time per week. Um, that's going to be emails, that's going to be mentoring, that's going to be answering questions, it's, you know, uh, any, you know, signing off a note or researching a patient's information. So for us, I have, you know, the equivalent of about um, 19 direct reports. So that's about 19 hours of work related things that I like to allocate. Um, some would call it executive time or whatever you want to kind of put it on your calendar, but there's going to be 18 to 19 hours worth of stuff if you're listening. If you're putting your head down and just treating, you're not going to know what's going on. And so I think it's one thing to be, you know, have your hands in the business and be working hard. And I think that's a good example to show, but I think ultimately your staff is more interested in having their needs met by you when they have a question or have a problem versus watching you treat a lot of people. So it took me a long time to figure that out. And I think we had talked about this a little bit offline too, and that's the kind of the ego or just even the psychological need to be needed, which we all have at some point and all at some point in our career, it felt good. You got a referral that was just to Chad. You know, it's the things we kind of strive for when you're in PT school, someone likes you, a physician likes you, a patient's family member likes you. And, um, and you know, I still get those texts to this day. And I, it's just a matter of how can I get these people transitioned to the staff that I hired and trained, which I completely trust. Um, and we've got a great team of people there um, in our in my clinic that I work out of and um, balancing that on what you need to see to kind of, if it's a physician that's referring patients and they really want to see you, well, then maybe you should see them because you know, there could be, there, there's a, a, a stronger tie there or something. Um, but I think for us, like what I found is that, that having that allocation of time is really the biggest thing and, and you need to be available. Um, you know, I mean, you don't need to, to be able to hear every complaint, you know, like you don't need to be too available if you're there. 
I think for me, if I'm on site too much, then you become the crutch. You become, oh, I don't know how this computer works or this printer's offline. They go to you. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're there too much, if you're not there enough, then, you know, is this, is this guy involved at all? Or are they still running the business? What's going on? So I think it's that fine line there. I think most business owners probably get caught up in the weeds too much and they don't, and maybe there's a trust issue or they don't trust themselves to take a break or take a vacation or leave or, you know, that sort of thing. We have done kind of an interesting thing in our Kirkland office, which is my, my office that I work out of primarily. And that is that we started handing off responsibilities to our, our team there. So someone's in charge of the DPT mentoring and shadowing. Someone's in charge of the aid hiring and training. Um, we, we have someone who's in charge of compliance. So we're kind of creating these roles that then lend themselves to who is your, you know, who is your succession plan? So it's, um, and, and our team has, has run with that. So we have a, a senior therapist that kind of acts to, and that's Mandy who kind of takes, you know, the majority of the day-to-day things if Sarah and I aren't there. Although, you know, usually one of us is always there, but between the two of us and the, then the three of us with Mandy, then there's always someone there who's, who's long in the tooth for management type situations, customer service, you know, making sure things are going smoothly. And then we, we've kind of allocated those roles and people have questions on that. I can, I can answer that offline, but we just have a really good team of people and people's talents that you've kind of, you weren't sure were there or what was there. And you've kind of been pleasantly surprised. And then they get a, a percentage increase on that comp that we talked about for taking on additional roles. And that, that proves very um, worthwhile to them. And it gives them a manager type experience for, you know, hopefully future locations or future owners. Great. The, um, I, I do want to talk about moving the timeline, but I think we're going to save that for the next episode, Ben, because I, you encouraged me to get these uh, pod decks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, yep. I pulled them out. So we're going to do rapid fire here. You got it. You got it. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a fair shuffle. Yeah. I'll stack the deck. My wife was a blackjack dealer, so. Oh, nice. You can, card, you can count cards here. Well, if you could make one of your hobbies into a profession, which one would it be? One of my hobbies. You know, um, I feel like I kind of have that. That's kind of a very canned answer, but running is probably my biggest hobby. And so I have a I have an app that we developed for running with my buddy Chris Johnson, who would be a great guest, by the way. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you I'll connect you two of you. But so running would probably be one. I think you know being involved with dogs would probably be a close second or, or coming hanging out in your farm. But we, I think that's my goal. When our son gets off to college, my wife wants to run like a dog uh, fostering slash rescue situation in our house. Nice. We, yeah, we can talk about that. We have a dog, the breeder went to prison. Oh, um, she's legally blind. He met, he was misbreeding and had a weird thing, but uh, we rescued her in Georgia She's blind. She's amazing. We got her special needs ball. And uh, yeah, I can share the whole story with with Sarah. Next question. Does your name have a special or a significant meaning? If so, what? Uh, My middle name does. So my middle name is Truman. So my dad uh, was a huge Harry Truman fan. And uh, my dad and him were born, you know, like 30, 40 miles apart. And so so Benjamin Truman, Bob Kerr. Benjamin Truman sounds like a really good running back, but um, yeah. <laughs> so Truman's with me. So we're always like, oh, Truman, like the president. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. So that's the one that has meaning. The last name is uh, just strange. So um, and ben, I don't know why Benjamin, to be honest. I don't know. What, what, what is Bob Kerr? 
it's German, it's Wabker. So there's actually, oh, nice. actually fairly common in Germany, but you know, no one here can, no one, no one in the US could say it for years, but there's a lot stranger names now than there were in the 70s and 80s. So yeah. it's gotten a little bit easier to sound yes. up. Wonderful. What is the one thing you'll be really disappointed if you never get to experience it? Well, I think we kind of satisfied that recently. We, we just launched, we just put our boat in the water the other day. So we just got a boat and it was something that we, um, we live right by the lake and you can hear people on the lake having a great time while you're doing yard work and weeding and, <laughs> and raising children and that sort of thing. And um, I was going to be like, you know, if, if I'm on my deathbed and I would, my biggest disappointment would be to not have gotten on the water more, um, even though we're right here. So that, that's probably the biggest thing. So we, we just did that for the first time on Sunday. So, so that's exciting. And we look forward to having all of our uh, you know, friends and, and coworkers and people out there to have a good time in the summer. So short, it's a short, you know, nice season here in Seattle. So it's like May, May through September is there's no one, there's no place better probably in the country, especially like June through September, but the rest of the year is kind of wet. <laughs> three, 300 days a year, right? Of, yes, exactly. Uh, rain or overcast. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a deep one. We're going to save that. <laughs> oh, well, again. two rough ones in a row. Okay. It, we'll end on this one. Uh, did you have a favorite teacher or a teacher who made a big impact in your life? Ooh, there's a lot. My parents, my family, whole family is in teaching. Um, there's two that come to mind right away. Just when you say that question, well, there's actually three. There's Miss um, McGee, who was my first grade teacher that taught me about Europe and so we went to, we later went to the Netherlands and Holland and did the whole, whole Europe tour uh, because of her interest. I had a guy named Chuck Del Pierre, who was my seventh grade chemistry teacher who just made science fun. And then um, one of my coaches and teachers, Dennis Villeneuve, who was my lifelong coach, patient now, track coach, friend, colleague, and um, just a, a good mentor. So those are probably the three that jumped to mind, but um, I've got a you know, tons of them. I, had a, I, I was one of those people that had um, just a really great high school and college experience. You know, I, um, my friends would always be like, oh, it's so good to be out of school, you know, be done with school. And I was like, oh, I, I really miss it. Cause I, I really, I really like that feeling of every semester in school, where, whatever level it be that you you felt like you're improving yourself and kind of better and smarter than you were the semester before. And I think that's the challenge as we age, right? Is uh, as we lose uh, some gray matter and the myelin isn't as efficient, things like that, where you want to, you know, I think that's the reason you read so much and we pod so much and all that stuff. So it's, I think that's kind of the, the ongoing challenge, but those are probably my top three that jumped to mind immediately. Besides, you know, that, that the canned answer of parents and stuff like that and grandparents. Great. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time. I know you're super busy, but I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your schedule to be here. If our listeners want to uh, follow you, get in touch with you in any way, I know you have quite a few different uh, groups that you're working in. What's the best way for them to find you? You know, probably just the easiest way is on LinkedIn, to be honest. And that's just my name, Ben Wabker on LinkedIn. And then um, you can also follow us at Lake Washington PT on Instagram. Those are probably our, our two. I think we're kind of winding down our Twitter and um, Facebook. We're not quite as active on there anymore either so it's probably those are probably the, the two for sure for the time being we're not on tiktok yet i know some of your guests are on tiktok we're not on tiktok i think that will by the time i'll understand that i think it will already have passed so <laughs> i think there, there is there is i mean people that you know your your guests that are doing it i think i, I understand why it's just um, yeah we're putting our energy other places at this point but no I appreciate, I appreciate the invite again i'd love to be part of the two-timer club so um 
tell Bob I'm coming for him. And, um, and we'll go from there. But yeah, don't hesitate to reach out anyone. Um, and then I love our conversations, Chad. So it's, it's always fun. And I love talking offline. Thank you, Ben. You're great. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.